All right, great to have you guys here today. Thank you for having me uh, look around, see faces I know and some that I don't, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, Michael is saying, I've been around here a while. Yeah, 1988, I think it was. Rod and I, I don't know how far you go back, Rod. Do you remember? <laughs> I remember having church in here and uh, people sitting up here because the place was so full. So, Dirk, you remember that. So, anyway, those were fun times. And so, I've been around here a while. Uh, back in that day, I actually worked at uh, Hardin Simmons. I was a associate dean of students out there and and uh, did a lot of stuff with, in uh, higher education for years. Uh, and so I've, we've been around a while. My wife, you'll see around, she, we're now both gray. Uh, Chuck remembers this back in those days when he was a kid. So uh, anyway, uh, we're, uh, this has been a, a great journey for us. I don't know about you guys, but really as we uh, develop in our walk with God, there's lots of things that change. Well, I mean, we have... Uh, things that, that develop us if we allow it. And I don't know about you guys, when I was young, I did everything in my life to avoid pain. Anybody do that with me? Okay. I'm avoiding anything that might cause me difficulty. Because, obviously, difficulty is not from God, and I want comfort, right? What I, later on this journey of life, you come to this place where you're like, well, I need to be doing things that caused me to walk in faith, and how many of y'all know that faith doesn't lead to comfort? Anybody know this, right? Uh, you should have a handout today. I think it says something about employees and employers, is that right? We're going to look at several scriptures this morning, and you're going to get a, a snapshot of some of the journey that that me and my family have been on, It's uh, uh, and it's only a snapshot of us, and this is not for you guys to compare yourself to Brian, it's really just a, I'm going to give you some, some scriptures and things that have really helped me over the years. And this has been like a 30-year journey of kind of studying what it means to be a, a God follower in the workplace. Um, I've had a couple times, when I came to Abilene back in, um, let's see, that was 1988, uh, I came to Hardin-Simmons because I thought I'd come out of the ministry, and I'd been a youth guy up in Amarillo, and I hated it. I absolutely hated every bit of it. Uh, I loved the people, but I didn't like the ministry side. And and I knew also at the time that families were, uh, what I had come to realize, families were the foundation of the culture. I, I think you guys have probably heard this already, right? And if the family, if you don't get the family right, what do you get right? Nothing, right? If you don't have the family part right, obviously our, our uh, vertical relationship has to be premier, that one with, with God. You guys have already been through this stuff. And then the horizontal ones with our family, our, our wives and stuff, that's critical. And, and once you get that right, though, there's... Uh, there's a lot of question marks as to what am I supposed to do with myself? And, you know, how many of y'all, uh, when, when people talk to you about work, what's the attitude of work in our culture today? Somebody just give me some feedback. Get her done. Get her done. Okay, yeah. Necessary evil. Necess- Who said that? Ooh. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jowers. Uh, yeah, no, it's a necessary evil. 
that's really where I wanted to go with that because the, the culture teaches us that, that our vision is really for what are we going to do after work. Is this true? Uh, and, and the biggest vision, the most vision most people have is what am I doing this weekend, right? Or what am I going to do on my vacation? Is this true? And so if we're living lives that are fulfilling, because see, God works, right? David's been talking about that. He works for six days, right? And then he rested. Do you think God would work if he didn't want to? And so sometimes we come to this place, and I know, Bo, you guys talked about this, I think, last week. But we want to talk about the role of being an employee or an employer. And I'm telling you, this could be an entire study in and of itself. So you'll leave with a lot more questions than you have answers probably, and probably a lot more we could talk about. Not probably, there is a ton more we could talk about. And these, a lot of this comes from compilation of many, many years of uh, my brothers back there in the back. We have dozens and dozens of, of conversations about all of this. And uh, so I want you guys, we're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning, and I need your help to do that. And so I'm, how many of y'all on the front row have Bibles? Anybody up here? Okay. So I want you guys, just starting on the, on the top here, and uh, you guys having your notes, let's start in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, and then we'll just come along here. You guys uh, take the first four, and Ray, if you'll jump in there on uh, Genesis 1, 28. Um, Mr. Ardino, if you'll do uh, Hebrews eleven six, and then Rod, if you'll jump in there with Romans twelve, please one and two. We're going to go through these passages, and these are just kind of a hodgepodge that I would call uh, that have been critical and crucial to forming my mentality about how things work in the kingdom. And We're going to talk a little bit about being an employee and some about being an employer, but really we're going to talk about how do we use this life that we've been given to be worshipers of God. And we're going to go through this, and and, uh, so we're going to start with uh, the passage in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 12. If you'll read that for us, please. Read it real loud so everybody can hear it, please. There we have a 
a scripture that tells us the need for work. These guys, this was the church at Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, these people had heard from uh, teaching that God was going to come back imminently. Jesus was coming back, and so they, these guys were kind of settling themselves into a place where they're going to study the word, and they were becoming leeches on the rest of the church. They were living what we would call an entitled life. Anybody heard the word entitlement recently? What kind of culture do we live in? Entitled. We have people not necessarily studying scripture, but they go and they go to uh, universities and things and they study. They're making the culture better, right? And they don't work. And then they complain about the country. Is this true? The problem is, is that some of this is being emulated in the church. We have, still today, we have people who are, and their heart is good, they want to be good God followers. And so some of them, and this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, he said, I had every right to be one of those guys that I come in, you guys feed me and I teach you. He said, I had every right to do that, but I didn't do that because you needed an example of somebody who not only follows God, but he works hard. You guys know this, and I'm repeating things you probably already know, but Paul was a, a, a bivocational minister. He's making tents. He's really an entrepreneur, but it allowed him to travel and do what he needed to do. But he worked hard, and he set a great example for these guys. But we live in a culture that does not necessarily value hard work. And because of that, we've got... We've got entire generations of people who have learned to live off of those who produce and those who don't. Those who don't live off of those who are producing. Is that a good scenario? I'm going to take this just a touch deeper, and this is going to stretch you, and you, you guys will hear some stuff that you guys can banter around later, okay? But haven't we become entitled in many things as a culture? And, and I'm... I'll lay this out there a little bit deeper because at some point we have gotten to a place where we all, and me me included, have gotten to a place where we have some dependency on the government, don't we? What does life look like if if none of us had dependency on the government? Does that change things in the culture? Has not government become sort of a god for us? Because there's more dependency on them. Right? And, and part of this is we are, <clears throat> we live in the freest country in the history of mankind. We have more resources, more abilities, more opportunities than anybody around. I, I'm fortunate to get to travel a good bit. Um, went to Africa not long ago. I've been there several times. And every time, and Clay and Tim tell you this, but they just want to get in your suitcase and come to the U.S., because opportunity is nearly nothing. And yet when we live in the land of opportunity, we don't do anything with it because it's too challenging. It might be uncomfortable. I'll jump some more into this. and I'm, I'm just planting a seed of thought for you because we in this country do not value our freedom. And because we don't value it, we're on the verge of losing it. And so... In, at the base of everything, when you look at um, when a city gets started, what does it start with? 
at the very beginning, think of, think of this area here, nothing's here, and people start moving in. What does it start with? Not a courthouse. What? It starts with what? Who said it? Yes, it starts with business. Back in the days, it was ranching, farming, right? When you got enough of those together, you start building courthouses, schools, churches. If we don't get this part right, folks, and I'm a, I love teaching on foundational doc, what I call doctrines, which is family, which is uh, work. Why? Because if we don't get this stuff right, we don't get anything right. And so the culture is, is wanting us to move away from that, but if we don't get business right, and right now, a lot of business is condemned. Is that true? Why are, why are businessmen condemned? They're too rich, right? What? They're fake. They're fake, yeah. Uh, Right, right, yeah, they're, they're kind of, uh, yeah, they're independent, right? They're profit-motivated, profit you know, and how absurd is that? How many of y'all know you can't give what you don't have, right? And so if, if we don't have profit, we have no way of surviving. We can't hire new people. Most all the employers I know... They're more motivated about having growth for people, growth in their community. Is this unhealthy? No. It's the foundation, again, of the culture. When, when the ships came to the East Coast, did everybody get off and say, give me a good job? These were risk takers, right? These were people who followed principle and ideals, those people wanted religious freedom. They came and they knew they had to work their tail off. Most of them died in pursuit of a vision, right? We used to have a mentality in our country, and unfortunately it permeates the church as well, that our government is really more or less our fallback position, not our God. Here's my belief, and we'll jump into some more scriptures. I just started preaching, I'm sorry, but I believe people have opportunity and they fail to take steps of faith because they are too fearful. And I will tell you this, I still work battling fear inside of Brian Bloom. All the time. I, I believe inside the church, fear dominates most people. Would you all agree with that? And this is something that as men, we have to attack it. <clears throat> Not let it beat us, but we beat it. Um, let's jump, I'm, I'm going to look at a few more reasoning points. Let's jump at uh, 1 Timothy 5.8. Read it real loud, please. There's another passage that calls that worse than an infidel. <coughs> How many of y'all have heard that preached? 
The truth is that we've got a lot of people that not only are they not taking care of themselves, but they're not taking care of their family, and thus it becomes a burden on everybody else, right? It's one of the reasons why the government has to do what the government has to do, and that's not a good place to be. How many of y'all know that, that the government's not very good at family, right? And I'm not down on government. The, the founders called it a necessary evil, right? And, and the thing is, is that we have taken a back row position, and I talked about this just a, a second ago, of letting the government be a place that is our backdrop on everything we do. What I mean by that is, you now have a whole culture that thinks healthcare is the government's job. When I read this, that's not what I hear. Right? And yet, I will tell you this, my brother and I have been working for years trying to get our family out of that system, but that's not an easy system. It is a battle. Because freedom costs. I just know that, that my... Um, I think I care more for my family than Uncle Sam does, right? I'm just planting seeds, and don't hear condemnation, hear challenge, would you? Okay, because I think if, if the church cannot change a culture, who's going to? Right? If we can't change a mentality because we, we just think it's okay, I, and, and you may disagree with me, and that's okay. You can be wrong. Okay. Or, but seriously, if you can, if you can look in the scripture and find some reason to believe differently, that's fine. Let's talk about it. I'm okay with that. You might tell, you might show me something that that. Uh, trust me, I'm continually growing. Uh, Chuck, if you'll read that Proverbs passage. A competent worker. Now, every, there's a broad spectrum of what's represented here as work goes. The problem is we live in a culture of comparison, do we not? I mean, we're, you may look at, look at your neighbor and say, yeah, but he, he has the bigger boat. I don't even have a boat. You know, and we start comparing ourselves with toys and all and lifestyle and all that other stuff. The truth is we live in a place that um, we need to, if, if you go, and again, we could study this for days, but if you go to the parable of the talents, it comes down to, am I using the talent that I've been given to the very best of my ability? Because then, if you do that, what does that talent story tell us? It tells us if you do that little bit well, you're going to get more. The problem is, and we'll talk some more about this in a minute, but the problem is, is that that's a long process sometimes. I talk to young people all the time in their 20s, and they're frustrated with how long it's taken them to get to a place where they're high-level professional. And some people are, in this. one of the reasons I love this passage, and uh, we're going to talk about this out of uh, 1 Kings also, I'm talking about plumbers and uh, uh, tile workers and people like that that are really superb. And you know what? There's no applause in that. There's only condemnation for most people. And they're like, well, that's not high, high enough for me to want to aspire to be the best in that. 
And that's a shame. <clears throat> I used to complain when I worked, because I used to work in academia, I told you that. I had this master's degree and all this other stuff, and I'm over pretty big budgets and all that. And uh, pay raises came out, and the guy that was in charge of the uh, HVAC and plumbing higher paid than I was. I'm like, he didn't even have a bachelor's degree. And the guy says, who do you think they're going to miss the most if, if things go south? You know, if the AC's out or if the plumbing's not working, are they going to miss the guy with the master's degree that can talk really well or the guy who can fix the problem? I'm voting with the guy who can fix the problem, right? And we live in a despising world sometimes that despises some of those basic jobs that are out there, and that's, that's a horrible mistake. And by the way, if some of us that are not in those jobs are doing, are around those people when they're doing their jobs, we ought to be the best cheerleaders they have. Truck drivers, I see them all the time. I, I travel a lot. I see them all the time at, at truck stops. You ever say thank you to those guys for what they do? What happens if they don't do their job? We should be the most grateful people in the world. Uh, we live in such a blessed culture. First uh, Kings seven thirteen and fourteen. And King Solomon sent and set Hadid out of power. He was a widow's son of the tribe of Nepheim. And uh, <laughs> and his father was a man from Tyre, and worked in brass, and was filled with wisdom and understanding and cunning. He worked all works in brass and came to King Solomon and wrought all his works. I don't know if you hear that or not. This guy's name is Hiram. <coughs> he was found by Solomon to be this guy who's highly skilled with brass and working with stuff like that. He's not he's an artisan, right? He's not a high-level military dude. He's not high in the culture, but he was recognized. There's another uh, version of the scripture that says he's filled with the Spirit for the works of brass. Uh, what else does it say? Bronze. Uh, <clears throat> but he gets hired to build the temple and the, and the palace because he's well known for his skill sets. <clears throat> Again, these are not, he's not a white-collar guy. Now, if you read on in the story, he does have big, he really is a management kind of guy. I mean, he's got a bunch of people working for him, but he's the one that oversees it with excellence. Again, it's one of those things in our culture, we can have a get-by attitude. This guy was not one of them. Solomon wanted the very, very best to build the, the temple for God and his palace. And this dude was highly recognized because he was great with his hands. And again, we need to be a, a culture. If you're one of those people, we want to applaud you. But we're, we're going to ask, are you the one that, if, if you're working as an installer, are you the best installer that everybody wants to have when they're putting in stuff that they don't know how to put in? You know, we, we want to applaud that. And, you know, I even had this, uh, talked about this with a few of you guys over the years, but 
Are we a church that can applaud that? Are we a church that can say to a sniper in the military, God bless you for being the best killer in the land? Can we be those people that applaud and place our hands on them and bless them? How many of y'all know if we don't have those guys, we're not safe? Right? There is a God of justice that's part of his identity. It's not just a God of love, right? It's a kick, he's a kick butt kind of God, right? And we, we in his image need to be those kind of people too in whatever field we're in. And that's what we're talking about there. Um, again, <clears throat> uh, let me jump off this. I'm going to have Ray read what has become one of my driving passages for my entire life. Uh, Genesis 128. You guys have heard this before, but uh, a few years ago, it bring revelation to me. And so I'll have Ray read that real, real quickly. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So when I ask most people that grew up in the church what the first command is, what do you think they say? Love the Lord your God, right? Actually, this is the first command. Be fruitful and multiply, take dominion of the earth. I had an Israeli friend read this to me, and he said it literally means what it says, have lots of kids and dominate the affairs of the earth. He added a little tangent onto the end of that, as a lamb dominated. Kind, gentle dominator. So the question becomes, our, uh, and, and this was big for me because I wasn't, I'm a nice guy. Nice guy. I'm having this issue with my uh, 16, 17-year-old son playing basketball. He, he's a nice kid. And guess what? He gets dominated because he's nice. How many of y'all know there's a time when you turn that off and you become the dominator? And we've got to become those, those men, whether we're employees or employers. If we're employee, we need to be the top guy in the company. We need to be the guy that's there early, that's staying late. I don't care how bad the culture is that you're there. I don't care. Guess what? The light shines brightest in the darkness. So if you're always trying to leave your dark place because you find it uncomfortable, shame on you. Now, if the Lord leads you out of that, that's fine. But most of us are always looking for the easier place. How about having the attitude of, we're going to shift this culture? Me and the Holy Spirit. Guys, we have to get an attitude that puts us in a place where we want to take over and dominate the, affair, the affairs of the earth. The, the unbelievers have zero problem with this, by the way. They don't. They don't have any problem with it. Because they don't have some preconceived spiritual idea that it's not nice to be firm and forceful and assertive. But again, if you go back and you read some of uh, the passages of Scripture in the Old Testament, especially about what these God followers were like, some of them were pretty tenacious. Um, I read a book recently about, uh, it was a historical fiction book called Man of War. Anybody read that book? Uh, it's about Benaniah, 
and he was one of the mighty men of David. Highly encouraged. It's very gritty, uh, but I'd encourage you to read it. It gives you a snapshot of what it looks like to be one. He was one of the best of the warriors. And again, we have no real way of knowing how, what this looked like, but this guy, this author delves into it in the, in the sense of what it probably looked like for him to be that guy. So we, we uh, in this culture, though, the one that we live in, it still comes back to a stewardship issue of where you're at, are you at the pinnacle in that system that you're working in? Meaning, are you the most sought-after guy that's doing your job because you're the best at it? You may say, no, I'm not really. I'm not really even gifted at that, and, and that's fine. Some What we un, fail to understand sometimes is that the journey that we're on is that, a journey. Sometimes you're where you're supposed to be, and you're only supposed to be there for a short season. But here's what I believe. I believe God has put vision, and he's certainly given each of us talents, and we have to learn to use each of the of those at the, at the level that we've been gifted to do it. And um, I'm going to give you a couple more, and I'll, I'll use these as a, kind of a jumping off place. Hebrews 11, 6, very well-known passage. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek. Okay, without faith, say this with me, it's impossible, it's impossible. to please God. Here's what I believe about the church. Most of the church is filled with people who are really good people, but very few do anything that causes them to live in faith. And you may say, well, I pray for people who are sick. Okay, we want to do that, and I want to get better at that, by the way. I want to believe for more of that. I want our culture to be like that. Do you know what else I want? I want our men to be living in their sweet spot that they were created and designed to live in, living out most fully what they were designed to do. You know, back in the ancient days, we were known by our name, baker, shoemaker, whatever you want to call it, right? What's your name? What is it that just, man, I get jazzed about doing this every single day and I'm dominant in it. And it's hard. It's not that comfortable lifestyle that I was telling you all about earlier. The one that I long for. By the way, there's Still, some of that longing, you, you, you know, comfort's pretty attractive. I think it was, um, I, I think I saw this recently, but comfort is the greatest enemy to your success. Prosperity is hard. It's harder than poverty. Why? Somebody tell me. You can, you can become boastful, yep. It requires relentless action. Requires relentless action, sure. Yep, what else? You stop relying on God. Big, uh, there's a big tendency that can happen there, yep. 
Yeah, yeah. I heard this just this week. Most people, the more successful they become, the fewer the people are that they let inside their life to talk to them. And typically it's not that they, most of the people I know that are are successful are not necessarily less teachable. You just have to have your ducks in a row when you talk to them. They're not going to listen to just quibble, right? They're still very teachable, but you better be, have your stuff together when you talk to them. Most of them are still teachable, but maybe they're harder to teach. And the difficulty is that we're not lifelong learners anyway. We're, we're sunk. You see, I think that we were created in the image of the Almighty, and He's doing two things every single day. He's creating, and He's recreating. If we're in His image, what is it we're supposed to be doing? Creating and recreating. And see, some of that creativity leads to prosperity. As you've heard McQueen say multiple times, we live in the most prosperous culture ever in the history of mankind, so most of us are not probably as teachable as we ought to be. And we're probably not stewarding as well the gifts that we have because we're pretty comfortable. And what ends up happening is, especially when you become prosperous, is sometimes we get where we don't live by faith anymore because I can... I want to do what I can figure out how to do because I don't want to lose what I got. Most of the time, if you look through the scripture, people had to give up something to get to the next deal. And if we're not consistently living in that place where we're willing to walk away from what we got to pursue what we think he's showing us next, we're in trouble. Pretty soon you become a faithless culture. And I don't think any of us want that, but we have to examine ourselves to say, where are we exhibiting this faith walking right now? As an employee, if I'm in a dark place that they don't appreciate me very much, do I still show up at work with the best attitude, prepared to bring the light into the darkness, saying, you know what, I'm here to be a culture changer. I got a text from my cousin yesterday. He works blue-collar job up in Wisconsin. Barely over minimum wage job, but God's been working on his heart big time. He said, man, I just got promoted, and now my boss is asking me about why I have faith in God. Why? Because he's a great employee. Great. Every employer is looking for people to rely on. Is this true, Bo? In fact, if you read through the Scripture, there's many people in the Old Testament especially, and there's some Proverbs that say that the great servant will sometimes become higher than the son because of their loyalty and their ability to function and do things. This is valuable. If you're an employer, do we have the the drive? We just talked about this. Do we have the drive and the faith to continue to be creative? We're creating more jobs, more opportunities, more places where we can disciple more people. Are we doing that? Again, it's easy to become comfortable. We get a lifestyle we like that's, you know, no one's questioning you. They're like, in fact, a lot of times you get prosperous enough, people are like, 
Whoa, a boy. But when we approach the throne and he's like, you don't have any faith. You know, when we get older, sometimes we get less faithful because the risk. Well, what happens if? Right? Are these true thought processes? I've got a couple of uh, scenario examples from Scripture that you guys are very familiar with. Uh, One of them is the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 41. Joseph has a dream. Y'all remember what his dream is? Somebody just pipe it out there. Yeah, yeah. And so, and and in his youthful uh, ignorance, he spouts this off to his brothers, and they end up, they want to kill him. Evidently, he's very arrogant. Uh, But they end up selling him as a slave to a trader, and he goes to Egypt. And guess what? He's such a great employee in imprisonment that he keeps rising up the ladder till he becomes the number one man to the number two man in the culture. If you all know the story, he works really hard, he's diligent, but he still has this vision that's in the back, and he's thinking, wow, this is a long way from my vision of being the head of, you know, people bound down to me. I mean, I'm the guy that's bound down to everybody else because I'm a slave. But he becomes the number one slave out of his diligence and work. And we all know the story that evidently he was a good-looking guy, and the wife of Potiphar decides that she wants some of his action, and he says no, right? And eventually he gets falsely blamed, goes back to the prison. But guess what? He didn't go to the general overall prison because I think Potiphar kind of had in his mind, I think she's probably a little bit off my wife, but we're going to send him to the king's prison. This is where the high-level prisoners are. Again, even in his demise, he didn't go down to the, the local dungeon where the worst of the worst was, right? You all know the story. King gets upset with uh, the baker and the wine taster. And uh, they come in there. They have dreams in the middle of the night. No one's able to interpret the dream, but Joseph, and you guys know the story, but Joseph uh, interprets these dreams for these two guys. The winemaker, he says, three days, you're going to get your head lifted up and you're going to get back to your old position, which was a high level in that, in that uh, system back then. The baker, he says, you're going to get your head lifted up and you're going to be hung and the birds are going to eat your brains out. That gives you something to look forward to, right? As you know, both things came true. And he had asked them, hey, when you see these things come true, obviously the baker couldn't help him. <laughs> but but the, the wine taster forgets about him until the king has a series of dreams that no one can interpret. And the wine taster, again, understand, this is a guy who's tasting stuff to be sure the king's not getting poisoned. So he has a high level of trust. So he has a high access to the king. When the king has a dream that no one can interpret, he said, oh, yeah. I remember this guy. And uh, sure enough, he brings that about. But 
Here's the deal. When Joseph came in to interpret the dream for, for Pharaoh, he not only interprets the dream, what else did he have? He had a plan of action. Here's how we're going to solve this. So he goes from the basement to the penthouse, literally like that. Right? Number two man gets promoted to the number two man in the entire into in the entire country. The king says, wherever you go, people will bow down to you because they have to. That only I rule over you, no one else. How many of y'all like that kind of promotion? Right? That's what I'm talking about. So thing is, is that he had a vision, though, that drove this. And, and obviously later his brothers do end up coming and bowing down to him, and he ends up saving the world because of his being in touch with the God of the universe. Not only does he save Egypt, but the rest of the world comes there to get food because of the drought. <clears throat> My question to us is, do we have the vision just to see the next step I mean, he had this vision that she's, these people are going to bow down to him. Did he really know what that was going to look like? No way. There's no way he did. But God took a guy who, maybe in his youthful ignorance, made some, handled his uh, dreams pretty poorly. But he used this guy, and because of his faithfulness, get this, this was 14 Forget now. 14 years of laboring in obscurity before he gets the promotion. 14 years. If you go back to David, when David was anointed king of Israel, 15 years. He gets the word way, 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 way before he gets the position. So when you look at this, you have to ask your question, has God given me a dream or a vision for my life? And I will beg to offer to you that he has. The question is, do you really believe it? Because, see, fear dominates a lot of us. And a lot of, one of the things I loved about Hiram, if you listen to his story, was he was the son of a widow. He didn't have any upbringing. He didn't have any big-time money behind him, pushing him forward. So the, the question becomes, what are we doing with, did, if, did we get a dream? Did we get a vision? And again, if you haven't found that yet, I'm going to urge you to seek the Holy Spirit to find that. Some of y'all are at one talent places in life, and you need to figure out, what am I supposed to do right here, right now? Some of you guys that are employers, you've been growing, you've had a company, it's been good, but maybe it's not exceptional. Maybe it's not where it needs to be. Maybe there's some risk and, and some vision that has not yet been accomplished. You see, guys, when, when I think about our culture being the jacked up mess it is today, when, when people get free, and we talk a lot around here about freedom, but when they get their, their vocational and financial freedom it liberates everything. A big study of history, not 
study are probably overstated. I read a, a book about the, the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And in that book, all 52 of them pretty much fought their way into becoming somewhat financially independent so that they could care about something more than putting beans on the table. Every one of them. And for us to get there, that's a journey, okay? Some of us have more gray here, right? Some of y'all color your gray, okay? All right? But the truth is, we are all on a journey. Some of us are doing what we're going to do from this point forward, not for us, but for the next generation. Y'all have heard the statement, are we willing to plant trees in our lifetime that will never sit under its shade? See, our culture is desperate for people who want to dominate this earth righteously. It's not good enough just to be a nice guy and to be good people. It's not good enough. Um, we have to have some desires to be discipling people, and we can't disciple them if we if we're not free in some sense. The second example I have here is for Jacob. And see, his, his vision was not about people bowing down to him. His vision was about a chick. Evidently a hot girl, right? And he wants this girl. She must have been really hot. Because, why are you guys not laughing? This is funny to me, all right? She evidently was really hot because he says, I'll work seven years for her. Right? Y'all know that story too. Well, he gets cheated. He gets the ugly sister. They must have got him pretty toasted at the wedding party, you know, because, right? So he gets the ugly sister, and he says, well, that's not the one I wanted. Laban, you cheated me. And he said, well, work seven more years, and you can have Rachel. So he works seven more years. You ever notice what happens in both these stories? Both these guys got cheated. Both of them got pushed down. If you read the rest of the story about Jacob, though, I mean, he, he makes a deal with his, uh, his father-in-law. And he's not going to cheat his father-in-law, but he does studies in genetics, right? I mean, he's smart. He ends up taking most of the herd because the genetics matched what the agreement was. And the dad, you know, Laban's probably old. He's sitting around the tent not doing anything while, while Jacob's out there breeding, breeding goats, right, to his benefit. Neither one of these guys quit in life. They kept going. Number two, both of them were cheated at some point, and they did not become bitter and quit. They didn't quit believing in the dream that they were given, and so they kept pressing forward. And there's story after story after story of people, both current and past, who have done this. Most of y'all know the story of like Michael Jordan. How many of you know he got cut when he was a freshman in high school from the basketball team? Right? But he wanted to play. Felt like he could. 
Maybe he was right. Okay. <laughs> Persevere. Yeah, I wonder about that freshman coach. Hmm. Right. Just understand this. Based on these two stories, and, and I'll wrap up here pretty quick. They both had something that was driving them. They were both honorable in their serving, whether they were um, underneath or whether they were the ones who were in charge. If you read the story about Jacob, when he left, he had tons and tons of people that went with him because he created enough jobs and things like that that they, he needed people. And, uh, and so he did that. We know what Joseph did. We know that there's a lot of stuff that, that uh, he did in, in his culture, not just to save the country, but to save the planet at that time. They both overcame the wrong, and they reached a place of freedom, and when they reached that, they used that place to help others. I heard this said, and I don't know how exactly true it is, but I heard this say, said before. And again, take this in context, and if, if this is like the supermarket, if you don't like what you hear, throw it out. Don't pick it up off the shelf. But I heard this said from Christopher Columbus's journal when he was uh, writing about his, his uh, life. He said, I really think life ought to be divided into three phases. And the first phase is that of taking in education and learning and growing, being discipled, essentially is what our language would be, right? He said the second part of your life should be to obtain your riches. Go after the wealth that you need. What that looks like in the U.S., who knows? I mean, it's such a broad scope. But, but he said the third part of your life ought to be becoming an ambassador, helping others get through the first two phases. And see, I think sometimes we get to a place where um, some of us believe lies about who God created us to be, or maybe what the enemy is feeding us is that we're not significant. You guys have heard this in your freedom talks, but the truth is that God's put his image in every one of us. When I was 22 years old, I had a, a guy told me, the first time I'd ever heard this, my brother and I grew up in the church, but I'd never heard this before. This guy said, I see... And this is a Baptist dude, by the way, not some Pentecostal dude. But he says to me, he says, I see a piece of the image of the Almighty in you that I've never seen anybody else. Which was transformational for me at the time because it was so encouraging. But you know what? Every person in this room needs to receive that word. There's a piece of the image of the Almighty in each one of you that if it doesn't get lived out, His image is not reflected. I'm going to have, uh, we're going to read this passage out of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Rod, if you'll read that for me. Uh, <clears throat>
Guys, our daily life, because if you're sitting in here, you've been working on the holiness part. You've been working on the developing of your, your man's, your being a follower of Jesus. This is just a continuation. The problem is, is that if we can find worship, you guys already know this, but I'm going to repeat it. If we can find our worship to what happens on Sunday morning or in our car as we're singing with some tunes along the way, we have totally put God in our worship in such a small box that it is horrible. Because see, what we do when we walk out the door on a, on a given morning, tomorrow morning, what we step into is our worship going to bring the glory and the reflection of His glory to this earth that needs to be seen. And, and what we are doing every day, and it doesn't have to have Christian on it. Sometimes it's in a ditch learning to fix a pipe or fixing a pipe that's going to help somebody's house flow again. I told this to a guy not long ago. He is in the septic business. And I told him, I said, you have a, a role in the culture that keeps us whole and healthy. If you don't do your job, we live in a world that is filled with disease and illness that does not represent the kingdom, does it? Some of the worst jobs we can think of are so kingdom built. And we need to be the cheerleaders for those guys who are willing to do that. Called, some are called to do that. Some of you are called to do some stuff like that. And you're like, well, it, it's not very pretty. Do you know there's, I think there's 13, 1,400 lacking master plumbers in this state of Texas right now? You know there's a lack of truckers out there right now that's huge? Yet we got universities filled with people complaining about how bad our country is because they have time to get three squares of roof over their head and they don't work a lick. Tell me something's wrong with that. Guys, we not only have to work this into ourselves, but we have to work it into our culture. Both as an employee and as an employer, we... The, the creativity of the Almighty transforms us as an employer. It transforms how do we establish cultures that people want to be there, that they want to be transformed because, man, they're like, there, I am loved, I have an identity, people care about me, and not just me and my performance, but they believe I am somebody. I am an image bearer. These guys both died being honored men. What do you want your tombstone to say? If you're an expert in the Dallas Cowboys or any other team, I'm sorry for that. No, I'm serious. Why? If all we can do is spout off statistics about an entertainment piece, we're shallow. We're very shallow.
Don't get me wrong, I love sports. I watched some yesterday. I'll watch some today. But if that's the driver for your life, is something you have zero control over, shame on you. Become passionate about what God has put inside of you to change this world to reflect His glory to the earth itself. People are not attracted to the gospel because we live plain, ordinary, defeated lives. We can change that. It is a journey and it's not easy, but are we willing to engage that? That's the question. Let's pray. God, thank you for these men. I already know that if they're in this room, they are seekers of your heart. They've already been through a bunch of stuff getting to this room. And that tells me that they are desirous to be the men you called them to be. And I am too. I, I just join in with these guys. Whatever, God, that you want them to do to be dominion takers on this earth. I pray you fill them with the power in your presence, your authority, your vision, your insight, your understanding, your perseverance to press through for years if necessary to see your kingdom come. We need your glory on this earth. We cannot fix what is wrong, but you can. Your glory being reflected to this earth changes the entire culture. I pray release of your spirit in this seemingly unrighteous and and unholy field of work even though you are a worker help us to emulate you in being creators and recreators of this earth on this earth we pray this in jesus name amen i think you guys have uh groups right michael all right we got the Got a few minutes. Uh, it's about uh, ten after right now. Uh.